I'm really, really lucky to be able to be surrounded by artists of color to create this like safe and brave space to be refueled, mm -hmm. um, to go out into the world and continue to move through and deal with these absurd encounters that we experience to deal with the hate that we see on the news and and and, and on the internet and all of these things that realizing that that's a, a really important resource that we provide our artists as well as our audiences to come into a space where you can be like whoo okay right i can get refueled here that was deidre harrington and you're listening to usa tbd a podcast exploring critical issues facing america today of which there are many, social justice causes, systemic racial oppression chief among them, an outdated, visionless, and unsustainable foreign policy, a broken food system in which we are literally eating ourselves to death, and a political system so dysfunctional it feels almost beyond reform. All of this unfolding within a world of accelerating exponential technological change and in a country that doesn't really know itself, where myths and half-truths still define the narratives we believe in and live by. So who are we really, deep down? And how do we get here? What's actually happening today, right now? And where do we go from here, together, as a nation and a people, in a future that is very much to be determined? I'm your host, Dave Bernath. My guests today are Eric Lockley, an award-winning actor, writer, comedian, and producer, and Deidre Harrington, a creative producer and artist. These talented multi-hyphenates are part of the current leadership team at the Movement Theatre Company whose mission is to create an artistic social movement by developing and producing new work by artists of color. They engage audiences in rich theatrical dialogue, enlighten communities about the issues they face, and empower artists to celebrate their unique voices. They join me in the studio here in New York. Deidre, thank you for being on the show Thanks today. Uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about a whole range of topics uh, that, that touch on the space that you guys operate in as artists, performers, producers um, in the theater and in New York City. Um, but, so, but why don't we start a little bit with just the Movement Theater Company, kind of its mission, talk about its place in the culture. And also, I, as a second part, I'm really curious about the origin story a bit because I think when people might pop on the website or hear about it, they're like, oh, I get it. Post-Trump, the resistance, the movement. Yeah, I know why this was formed. And you're like, 2007, what? You know, so uh, yeah. talk a little bit about it. Yeah. Um, so I'll start off by just talking about the movement and our mission and everything. And then I'll like Eric, who's actually one of the founders, talk about our origin story. But um, the movement, we're a Harlem-based theater company that's uh, dedicated to developing and producing new work by artists of color. And really giving artists of color the opportunity and the space to experiment with aesthetic and style to really tell our stories in the ways that we want to tell them um, and in new ways and in, in exciting ways and ways that really push the boundaries of theater beyond what you usually expect. And um, artists of color in particular often, you know, we're asked to continue to be the the August Wilsons, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like we've got new ways of telling our stories, which are very much inspired by our current our cur the current state of the world and the way that we're moving through it. Um, and just, you know, and so that's how we're about just in terms of uh, 
with with our artists, but also with our audiences. It's all about how can we create brave and reflexive and celebratory spaces for um, audiences of color, um, LGBTQ audiences to come into a space and really be seen um, and 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 be celebrated for all of the complexities of our experience. Right. Yeah, complexity is certainly a big part of uh, our origin story. Um, as one of the founders, we, uh, a group of friends, met up at a Starbucks, and uh, some of us had recently graduated, some of us had been out for a year, and some of us were still students, and we were like, we are tired of feeling like the only roles that we can audition for are stereotypical roles or um, things that we're not quite old enough for. And it felt like so many contemporary stories at that moment weren't really dealing with things we were interested in dealing with. Um, as artists of color. And so we were like, well, how do we change this? And we was like, well, we create a movement. We really create something that's for us where um, another part of it was people were multidisciplinary. People, right. actors were writing and experimenting with writing. We were devising work. We were not sticking in, uh, staying in one lane. Um, and that was a part of what the movement uh want it to be uh, and it continues to seek to be it's a place to experiment for artists of color a place to be outside the box got it yeah and I think you know going uh, off of what Eric was saying about not sticking in one lane you know there's four of us who run the organization we've got this non-hierarchical collaborative leadership structure and a big thing for us was always creating space for us to be artists in our own right mm -hmm. um, you know David Mendezabala is primarily who's one of the leaders is primarily a director same thing with Taylor Reynolds you know Eric is a writer actor filmmaker I think I'm the only one who's like, yep, I'm a producer. Right, I'm a creative yes. producer. This is what I do. You don't have as many hyphens after your name. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, a producer, I feel like, is just a hyphenated task exactly. list. Exactly, <laughs> uh, for sure. Certainly. Um, and, and just sort of, you know, broad strokes, now you're 11 years into that journey mm -hmm. from that founding year. You know, things you guys have observed, things you've learned, how much has the scene changed? I mean, obviously the world's changed, but yeah. just talk a little bit about that, the journey for the, for the enterprise. Well, the, the scene has changed uh, significantly, actually. Um, when we first started in 2007, uh, there weren't nearly as many there – um, there wasn't as much of a national conversation about how much representation matters, about diversity, inclusion, and inclusion the way um, we're having that conversation now. And it's been interesting to watch uh, things <laughs> become in vogue and go out of vogue, right. out of fashion. Um, and, you know, I think the word diversity and colorblind casting, those were big things when, when we were initially on the scene. And now colorblind casting feels weird to say and feels like a little wrong. Um, and, and one of the big things I'll say, um, as from an organizational standpoint is we've watched a lot of, um, smaller organizations come and go. And I, I, I'm really proud to say that we have stuck around, but the reality is that running an organization, um, especially committed to this work is challenging and, um, it's wonderful to see people take it on and, uh, take on lessons and continue to create. But one of the things that I still am excited to see is how many more producers of color can we have? Right. Um, because I think while there are more playwrights than ever of color being produced, 
the people that producing that are producing them don't always look like them, and right. that's a really valuable thing that. Um, I don't think we can express enough how value, valuable it is to see someone who looks like you encouraging you and providing you with the resources to tell your stories. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the most powerful things about the work that we do that I experience as a producer is when um, we walk into the first rehearsal mm-hmm. and you look around the room and everyone is of color. Mm-hmm. And the just sigh of relief that our artists have when they're like, <laughs> oh, Great. Like, I can talk about this, like, awful racist encounter that I just had on the street or at this predominantly white institution or what have you. And this is a safe and a brave space for me to actually not have to, you know, be the expert on the experience Mm -hmm. of my of my, you know, cultural, ethnic, racial group, but um, also not have to defend it. Right. Um, To walk into a space and say, this is my experiences and these are the challenges that I'm going through. And to be in a room where everybody's like, yep, been there, know what that's like. It's it's huge. That's cool. Um, It's interesting you talk about the uh, August Wilson thing and like Mm -hmm. these these lanes or these defined spaces where, you know, it was just the more – with such limited access or limited roles or what have you – and and this desire to like no no we don't want to tell that story we want to tell this different story that's yeah. more authentic more contemporary can you talk a little bit more about that because I think that's such a fascinating you know sort of uh, issue this because because it feels like there's an issue of like first of all there's so many stories that haven't been told and it's also like they're not all necessarily on point with this particular topic or issue or they're just a, a human experience with all the complexities of where you yeah. used. I think that's really interesting uh, that because that's that idea. Yeah, I, I think... Even though it sounds so self-evident and right. dumb to even say yeah. it, right? right? Like, no, duh. Like, everybody else has been making shit for thousands of years. Yeah. Like, why can't we do a lot of that? Like, exactly. you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I know that radical imagination is something that we are so passionate about and i don't think... I think it took us a while to kind of figure out what our aesthetic was or to define it, to put it into words. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea that people of color, uh, that we can do, that it doesn't have to look like August Wilson, it doesn't have to look like Susan Laurie Parks, it doesn't have to look like Adrian Kennedy. It can be completely out of the box. It it can be something new and different. And uh, I think the ways in which we showcase that are through different programming. We have um, had some events called Harlem Nights, where we do theatrical events in non-traditional spaces. Um, so, for example, we did a horror night at Maisel Cinema where we had uh, eight artists reinterpret classic horror movies. And so that was like a burlesque dancer, a mask artist, um, a playwright, an actor, a choreographer, all throwing together some really unique stuff to talk about um, the horror genre. And some of it was uh, had to deal with so- social justice. Some, some of it didn't. But it was a really unique lens on this thing that um, oftentimes people of color are defined by whatever the uh defined by victimhood honestly right, right. and just having to be victims of oppression and it was really exciting for us as an organization to have conversations that are beyond that and that give uh artists an opportunity to express themselves beyond that right yeah and i think you know uh your question really goes into the show that we're um producing right now, um, which is uh, called What to Send Up When It Goes Down by Alicia Harris and um, directed by Whitney White. And 
Alicia one is just a, a, a force to be reckoned with, mm-hmm. with her writing. And just even from the way that her work um, is laid out on the page is different and it's unique. And this piece in particular um, is, is not like anything we've produced before. Um, and it's this community ritual meets a play meets a pageant meets um, like this, this, meeting of people to really come together and to to look at how do we as a community how do we as black folks um heal from racialized violence how do we honor the people that have been killed and how do we celebrate the strength of of who we are how can theater actually be a tool um and a resource and a means for us as a community to start diving into some of those issues um and to really look to each other and say what can we do we're here in this space together. What can we do? And I think that the piece itself um, creates that um, that that meaning, that energy, that event to bring people together to do this work. Cool. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. That I think there's a there's a duality in the in the conversation that I find um, fascinating, which is on the one hand, like you said, like these traditional tropes, these ideas of what these mm-hmm. artistic expressions should be, victimhood, et cetera. And let's, you know, can we just break out of that and do something that's, you know, quote unquote, just ex- human experience. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you have a society that still has never acknowledged and reconciled its own past. So right. it's like there's so much work to do to kind of, to be blunt, sh- put it right smack dab an inch from the face of white America to understand the, the history of the country. So that work's got to be done, which yeah. involves a lot of, you know, 12 years of slavish kind of like storytelling, <laughs> like you need to really grasp what has happened from then all the way through now, even yesterday, today, right. Black Lives Matter, Ferguson, et cetera, because it's still, people still, I think just, they don't get it. We don't, we don't teach it in the schools properly. It's right. such a huge mm-hmm. issue. And at the same time, as artists, you're like, I'd like to be an artist, not a black artist today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that seems like those are really interesting, two different spaces. One's about like, you know, having that freedom to just do whatever you want and express yourself as a human being. The other yeah. is like, yeah, but we still need to make sure people like learn that what they have not learned and are mm-hmm. denying and are ignorant of, and it's holding us back because we're not putting sunlight on it. Mm-hmm. It's like, not and, that you have to do all that. Right, but. right. And I also think that like it, you, it's hard to, uh, well, I th- my personal opinion is you can't separate your blackness from your artistry and it doesn't mean that black art is defined by being reactionary to oppression you know what i mean like black art is me walking down the street (laughs) you know what i mean like that truly is black art because i'm black um and i think that's another thing that we try to push with everything from i we had a, a laugh out loud event um and we had it on columbus day and what that was was we brought improv artists, uh, sketch art, sketch comedy artists, stand-up comedians together to kind of react to the idea of Columbus Day. Right. And it was really, really fun. And some of, you know, topically it spanned from dealing with blackness to not at all to just dealing with the dating life, tender. Right. You know what I mean? And it was great to like have that expression, especially on that day. Yep. And um, it's funny, Astronomy Club, uh, who performed, they now have had a special on Comedy Central. So it, it's also a wonderful place for us as uh, an organization to be able to give people a platform then to like do their next great things you know right right and and you know from obviously you know talking about the, the culture and the, the sort of cultural space political space we live in now last say couple years post-election 
post, you know, that kind of the I, just, I hate to say Black Lives Matter moment but from a from a political consciousness and an issue on the table, hashtag whatever this last couple of years. How do you guys how have you been feeling both as your theater company and as artists, you know, about the what it's like to operate in today's environment versus, say, three or four years ago? Yeah, I think what's interesting and um, me personally like struggle with it a lot, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm just here creating art, um, right? Which sometimes feels like, but what are we doing? What are we doing? But it's also um, really realizing that and something that we've really, we really believe strongly as an organization is that um, we are a social justice organization. And it just happens to be that theater is our medium. And mm -hmm. so every single time we produce a show, every single time we produce an event that we're out in, a, in the community, that we're just out representing the movement at a show, a museum, or what have you, that that's a political act. And that's an opportunity right. for us to, you know, continue to share our complex stories, to push people to think beyond what's going on and what you know, some of this political rhetoric is going on to really challenge, you know, stereotypes and issues around racism and all of that. Um, and that really owning that this is the way that we can engage with these issues and also realizing too, and this is, I think, where the, the selfish aspect comes in for me is that um, I, I'm really, really lucky to be able to be surrounded by artists of color to create this like safe and brave space to be refueled, mm -hmm. um, to go out into the world and continue to move through and deal with these absurd encounters that we experience, to deal with the hate that we see on the news and and, and, and on the internet and all of these things, to realizing that that's a, a really important resource that we provide our artists as well as our audiences to come into a space where you can be like, whew, okay, right. I, can, I, can, I can get refueled here. Right. Yeah, and I just... Uh, would add that as a storyteller and as people that create people, <laughs> create opportunities for people to tell stories, um, storytelling is the most powerful thing uh, that I think we have as a humanity. You know, we, we share our story and it can change someone. Um, and so being able to uh, approach a person that may look completely different than you, that may have a completely different life experience and be able to share a story that will ideally impact them and get them to walk away changed is so important at this time. And um, I know for us, we just wish we had more resources to give more opportunities right. because it's so important. And we see um, uh, people that we're so excited about being able to highlight and showcase uh, and, and yeah, so it's, it, it is a wonderful privilege to be able to uh, provide these opportunities, but we want we want more because there's so many stories to share. Right. And and would you say that that um, you know are you feeling because it sounds like you guys are really uh, you have a lot of strength um, in your community and you have a real mission driven sense of purpose. How are you feeling on sort of that optimism? pessimism how's your mood as creators how are you feeling about the the landscape that you're operating within as people and artists you know because it's certainly uh, every day the headline you're like yeesh you yeah know? yeah i would say it, it varies honestly and i think i think uh for us as an organization uh what we are looking to find more of is uh, the support for producers of color mm -hmm. um, because we see larger institutions um, get 
support, whether that's financial or attention, you know, more visibility because they have those resources. But as an organization run by four people of color who are uh, have currently limited, very limited resources. Right. Whether it's um, finding more donors or finding more folks who are interested in um, sharing resources, um, a lack of resources is what we are struggling with. So that's the moments that feel a little, oh, this is so difficult. Um, You know, realistically, it just has to do with like, oh, who do you know, who do we know that has this? Uh, you know, $5,000 that they can donate to support to make sure that this happens so that rehearsal space isn't as expensive so that this playwright can have the opportunity to have their play. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. And um, so that's a really real uh, challenge right. that sometimes can be frustrating. Uh, yeah. 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 It's just, it's a real roller coaster. Yeah. It's a real roller coaster from dealing with all of the things that are going on in the world to dealing with and seeing how those things trickle down into the arts, seeing yeah. how those things really trickle down to affecting our, and, and, and what I'm going to back up a little bit. What I think um, we really start to see as producers um, who are, you know, in part for paying our actors and our designers and end up being privy to the challenges, just the life challenges right. that our artists are experiencing from affordable housing to access to health care right. to, you know, all of these just basic life things yep. that it's like, yes, we're here creating art, but like these bigger issues are something that we actually end up having having to deal with mm-hmm. um, as well. And, 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 and that then goes into the frustration with, you know, the funding world and, and right. you know, the non-for-profit art structure where um, and, and, and seeing, you know, now that diversity and right. equity and inclusion is in vogue, mm-hmm. that these larger organizations that mm-hmm. are doing the work right. are getting all of this, you know, all of this, this press around it and all of these, you know, being patted on the back when it's like, um, we've been doing this for 11 years. Right. You know, if you want to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, like, one, don't just tell me to come in and do a workshop. Like, no, like, you need to come and support. You right. need to pay me to come do a workshop. Yeah. You need to do the work on your own. You need to do the research. You need to get involved. Right. Um, it's more than just producing a play by folks of color. It's more than just, you know, you're now producing a play by a person of color, so then you're going to reach out to the movement to include the the show in your e-blast. Right. Um, all of those, you know, and so you start to see how it's all, it's all, it's all connected. Right, right. But do, do you feel like in general things are getting better or it's sort of, it's a step forward, step back. It's like, you know, it sounds like from a practical point of view, it's just a struggle, period. <laughs> right. You know, which, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag. It's definitely a mixed bag. I think it's, um, I'll say I it is it is getting better in the sense that there are more people who are getting into positions um, to uh, to make a change right. um, that I feel like will be more concrete and more permanent. Um, that's everything from uh, regionally. Um, Maria Goyanis is now the artistic director of Woolly Mammoth Theater. Um, Stephanie Ibarra is the new artistic director of Center Stage. And those are two uh, Latinx women who are leading these major institutions. Um, And that's great. That's great to see. And I know um, I was a part of 
a letter drive sending letters to these institutions, to various institutions, because I, I, a significant amount of um, institutions were going to have to shift artistic directors right. uh, within the next like 10 years or maybe it's less. Um, and so I helped to organize, organize mm-hmm. a letter drive so that people could um, sign letters saying we advocate for these the new leadership to be women right. and or people of color. Um, and so it's great to see that shift happening. So I certainly think there is evidence that things are getting better, but it is still challenging at moments for sure. So um, talk to me a little bit about sort of the Harlem-centric nature a little bit of the organization, both as specifically with the movement company, but also just your feelings about you know, that part of New York and its history and, and what's happening today. Yeah, it's funny going back to our you know origin story. Um, I think it was probably about, what, six or seven years ago? When we really went, we're like, yes, we are a Harlem-based organization. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, of course do work in a number of different places, but Harlem has always been the the community that's always embraced us, that's always helped us out, whether it was providing free or subsidized rehearsal space, whether it was letting us do events in their in their you know, businesses and, and establishments. Um, I mean, all of us also do live uptown in, in Harlem yeah, and in right. Washington Heights. Um, a lot of artists of color in general live uptown as well. And so um, it's uh, really felt like home. And then now that we're, um, you know, have been producing our main stage productions um, at the New Art New York Theaters down on 53rd Street, um, we really realize that while we may not be producing in Harlem, um, we, of course, still do other events up there that Harlem is really a state of mind and that wherever right. we go, we bring that energy. We bring that 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 family vibe um, with us in at, at everywhere we go. It's a state of mind. We'll yeah. Talk more about what the state of mind is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that um, and it's and it's interesting that you, it's interesting, too, because Harlem has changed a lot. Right. As well, but I think that there are still those moments where it's it's really just about like the community, like being together. It's like you say hello to people on the street, you support the the, the local businesses that are, that are around you, that the you know black owned and and POC owned businesses that are around you. It's just this community vibe of like, no, we actually all need each other mm-hmm. in order to um, in order to survive, in order to thrive, right. Yeah, and I, and I think it's also about not apologizing for being in a space. Um, I think the Harlem has such a rich legacy, and um, I'm I'm so proud that yeah we get to be a Harlem based organization, and just being able to take that energy with us and be like, hey, we're here, and we're not going to apologize for it, and um, and we bring a community with us. I think that's that's actually really key. Is that when you tell some, if you tell someone you're from Harlem, then they don't just see you; they see a community, right. and that's us as the movement. We bring a community with us, and we're um, we're vocal, <laughs> we're we're good time, but we're gonna tell it like it is. So, yeah, I think all of that's a part of a Harlem state of mind. Yeah, yeah, Harlem is changing, I guess, a lot, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know if Whole Foods uh, <laughs> right. fits in the black owned POC owned, uh, and yet you know, food deserts and all that kind of stuff right. around the city. It's like you know. How do you see that whole issue? Because I have I have a few white friends who live up there, and we were in transition personally in my own life, looking for a new place to live. And they're like, "You should come up here," and I'm like, "Ah, I can't do it," you know. And I had like a black friend. I'm like, "You know, should I?" She's like, "Well, yeah, 
yeah, come on. I'm like, nah, you know? Yeah. Which is, a, you know, it's a complicated thing because obviously we need to come together as a country. But at the same time, you know, I don't know, it just felt wrong to me, which maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just not getting it, but still. Yeah. No, it's really, com- it's really complicated. Um, and sometimes really sad to see how much the neighborhood has changed. You know, I've been, I've been here for eight years now and to see how much it's changed since, since then and just going in and, you know, there's like, there's this, a couple of local bars that me and my girlfriends would always go to and to see how the demographics of, of the clientele has mm-hmm. completely shifted yeah. um, and how it's like it used to be this space that was predominantly people of color. And then now we walk in and it's like, wait, there's no room for me here because it's oh, all that's... white patrons. When it's like, I was here before anybody knew about this place. And now I can't even, right. I can't even come here. And now I don't even want to be here. Right. But also feeling the urge that it's like, no, I need to keep coming. Damn it. Like this is yeah. my spot, right. <laughs> you yes. know? Um, and so feeling that constant uh, tug and pull because also we deserve to have right. great grocery stores in our neighborhood. We deserve to have great coffee shops and great bars because black folks like to eat out too, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but it's just the shift that's happened and, and, and how, and, and it's about how, you know, black folks and people of color are being pushed out of that neighborhood right. rather than these businesses um, and things popping up um, to provide for the folks who have always been there. Right. And it's it's also not like it, it exists in a society where there's tens of thousands of robust Harlems everywhere in a society that has honored and supported these people. It's the yeah. opposite. So right. it's like, you know, so it's, it's sort of like, well, you know. You you know, there's, it makes sense to want to maintain those spaces and those communities somewhat autonomously, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm always <laughs> at a cafe, um, a freelance working working, and right. it's it's interesting to see you know people, uh, primarily white folks, come in, and sometimes I'll hear things like, "Oh yeah, this used to be a bad neighborhood," and it's like. Just to hear mm. that and like, you know, the connotation but behind right, that sure. is really problematic. And and the fact that they feel okay in this coffee shop, you know, to say that is is so problematic. And um yeah, so it's I think, you know, there is an ability to be aware of if you move to Harlem and you don't look like the legacy that Harlem typically is. There's a way to be aware of your 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 place, and that I don't mean that negatively, but literally, I think it's you know, good actually. Yeah, yeah, I mean, know your yeah, place, be, white people. <laughs> I mean, I love that. Right, <laughs> just be aware of it, and and don't take it for granted, and don't think that you know you've disco- you've discovered some new place that right. suddenly is. Yeah, hip and cool. Hip and cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, because it, we've been we've been there. Right, we've right. been there. We've been hip and cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Is... So you guys in your organization, you say you're non-hierarchical. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, you know the strengths and weaknesses and or the challenges and the and the cool things about how you guys operate? Because I would imagine it's great on some days, and some days you're like, okay, maybe we do need a captain or captainess. <laughs> like, t- talk a little bit about that process yes. of leading your organization as a group. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll I'll just start by saying, yeah, initially when we started, as uh, we looked at 
websites of theater companies, and we were like, right. "Oh, there's a executive director, there's an artistic director, there's a marketing director." So, um, uh, yeah, you be the executive, you be the artistic, and you, and then we'll just still all do everything all together. Right. And it got to a point where we realized we all are doing the work together. None of us are, you know, saying this is the only thing I do, and then y'all figure the other stuff out. Since we were all doing it together, we figured the best way to do it was to be non-hierarchical hierarchical and uh, be collaborative. Uh, and, yeah, I'll, I'll let you talk more about <laughs> that. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we're called the Producing Artistic Leadership Team is is yeah. the, the, the title that we've given ourselves um, for a couple of reasons. Like, you know, Eric was saying, we're all doing all of the work, doing the, the producing, the administrative and operational work, as well as the artistic work in the, um, you know, curation of the seasons and helping with, you know, the artists that we work with and all of that. Um, and also felt it was really important that we have the word leader in our title, too, because right. we are also leaders within our community, not just that we're running an organization. And uh, in terms of the collaborative process in running an organization, it def- it does. It definitely has its days where things run really smoothly and there are other days where things are really bumpy. Um, we've learned a lot of lessons over the years. I think that now we've finally sort of hit a stride and we've been working within this model for what, about five years? Yeah, five years. Um, which has been a lot of just learning and knowing and understanding each other's strengths mm-hmm. um, and uplifting those strengths and knowing when to provide support um, for folks, um, figuring out how do we how do we make decisions based on consensus um, and, and and knowing that like this process, our process takes longer, um, right. which has been like a big thing where right. it's like, yes, we want to make a decision by tomorrow. But realistically, this decision is going to take us three days. Um, and so it's been a lot of trial and error where sometimes a decision needs to be made by the afternoon. And we're like, hello, somebody please respond. Like, right. I I thought we were making this decision together. Um, and then we'll be like, we trust you. We trust you. <laughs> right. 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 And it's it, and that's true. I think trust is a is really, 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 is really, really, really important because there are four of us. We're also all artists in our own right, which means that sometimes we're busy and we have to trust in each other that we yeah. know that we have the mission and the vision of the movement within our bones. And right. so that all the decisions we are going to make um, – if not all four of us can put our hat in the ring, right. know that that it's going to be the one that's in line with the organization. Got it. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings. <laughs> a lot lots of listening. Of emails. Lots of <laughs> listening, and and acknowledging uh, that people's yeah people's strengths and, and uh, challenges mean that they might listen differently. They may mm-hmm. respond differently. And right. I think that took us some time to kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, for anybody who might be listening who's not in New York or is a younger person, what advice would you give sort of aspiring performers, artists, you know, who are people of color who are coming up, coming up, coming up in the world today from your point of view? As elders. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> we are we're young-ish is what we've yeah. what we've started calling yeah. ourselves young-ish. <laughs> um I think the biggest thing for me would be to just to find your community, to find your tribe. Um mm-hmm. I was super super lucky in that when I moved to New York City, I literally found the movement at the art 
New York at this internship fair. They were the only table of young brown folks. Mm-hmm. And I said, you, I'm going to intern with you, and then you're going to hire me. And I was just welcomed into this community that was like, oh, you're new here? Come to my 4th of July party, which is literally David, mm-hmm. um, who's one of the leaders of the company, right. did. And, and Eric and Jonathan, who all lived in Harlem, um, Jonathan was another founder of the organization, and they were like, like, let's let's ride the train home together. Let's, you know, oh, we need to eat after this meeting. Like, come eat with me. Um, and just when you're first starting out and when you're trying to figure out, you know, who you are, right. you're trying to figure out what is it that I actually want to do in this industry? What is the work I want to create? Who are the people that I want to work with? You know, entrenching yourself in a community and having that support of a community to challenge you to support you to uplift you um and to ask you those really hard questions is just invaluable right and where were you coming from um yeah so i'm originally from minnesota Mm -hmm. and then um i I went to vassar in poughkeepsie and so i was i I made that move Mm -hmm. that stupid ridiculous decision to move (laughs) to the city right after college right um Got it. Eric, what about you? What's your, what is your words of wisdom and slash a little bit of your own personal journey? Wow. Doom, doom, doom. Um, all right. So um, words of wisdom. You can start with the personal story and then maybe as you tell it, you'd be like, ah, that's my words right, of wisdom. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, I know that doing this work as a, a producer, which is something that I'm – I am passionate about. I've realized, you know, I certainly as an artist have my own dreams, but uh, I realize that I'm also passionate about creating dreamers mm-hmm. and that that is what, as a producer, I get to do. And um, there was a festival of short plays that I was producing and a black writer who I guess is getting some attention from predominantly white institutions uh, he was doing a run of the sh- the show, and I was like, "Hey, I just I just want to give you this one note." Um, and I gave him the note, and then he looked at me and he said, "That's that's great," and that's the first time another black person has given me a note mm-hmm. about something. And like, dude, that's awesome. <laughs> and he was he like really took a moment, and then right. I took a moment like, wow, this is a big moment for you because and and based on who he is, I get the sense that you know if I were white, that he would have a response that was like, no, you don't know, right, right. And because he he was looking at a person that he believed understood his experience, who still had this note, he was able to receive it and really respected that. And that just shows the power of representation and the power of having somebody that looks like you in a room that can guide you and you don't feel hostility. You don't feel um, mistrust. Mistrust. Yeah. Or you don't feel like they're co-opting your story Mm -hmm. and they're trying to. And it's it's so, so, so important. And I'm, I'm grateful that I am a part of being able to create dreamers. So for all those dreamers out there, um, I would say I would say. As a person of color, you are automatically political. And that's, you know, for better or for worse. And so I think what that means is you don't have to be blacker. You don't have to be gayer. You don't have to be, uh, uh, you know, quirkier. You, you, you are so unique and interesting and, and your stories are so valuable and um, just 
write, just create, just create. And I think um, one of the big things that I've learned is that you get to know your voice by just constantly creating. And I think uh, especially for a community that uh, measures success, that too often I would say measures success by how much money you're making, just create and you will learn so much about your voice and about um, who you seek to be in the world and about the world that you want to see. And that is the thing that I would push most often is just find opportunities to create and create, 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 or make your own opportunities. There is nothing wrong with making your own opportunities. That is hugely important. So that's another thing. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, and then just briefly, just talk a little about your own background. We, we didn't get that one in there, but that, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, I uh, So I went to NYU and um, after graduating, started the Movement Theater Company, but also I act and write and produce uh, other places as well. And I'm a filmmaker and I'm really passionate about uh, expressing joy and compassion and finding ways of creating magic, um, whether that's on film or on stage. And uh, so a lot of, I do musical improv every Wednesday at the pit. And so a lot of what I enjoy doing is getting people to laugh and then also getting that laughter to then make them more compassionate. Because I think laughter can be hugely valuable in connecting us. Um, and it's a, it's a universal language, the universal language of laughter. Um, so that's something that I am so passionate about and want to ensure that all of my work kind of finds a way to connect people um whether it's through laughter, magic, or compassion. Something that comes up a lot in these conversations or that you read about in the news is sort of the, the blending, uh, the need to blend and connect different movements, you know, simultaneously. And yet I feel like there's a, <clears throat> you know, or I'm curious about your opinions about what, at least as an outsider, as like the, the raceless white guy, um, is this sort of tension between like, okay, we're not done with the black thing, America, and now now we have to have the gay thing and the LGBT. Like all, we got to deal with all this simultaneously. Your point about the um, about the different voices, but how do you see that as as citizens, as artists, that that issue of like the blending of the different causes? You know, obviously the Me Too, Black Lives Matter. It feels like it's a it's like I've got all kinds of vectors that can be you know, greater than the sum of its parts, but also like, yeah, but we need to focus on this one thing because that's not resolved. Like, how do you see that issue? Mm -hmm. that, if yeah. that question even makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. I think one thing that we've talked about as an organization is that um, we can't solve them all. And so, you know, the show that we're producing right now is very much looking at, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and racialized violence and knowing that that's what the focus of this piece is. Mm -hmm. Our last show, And She Would Stand Like This, which looked at um, the um, LGBTQ community and, and health, it's like that's what that piece was focusing on. And so it's right. like we can do a deep dive into these different movements, um, into these different big sort of social issues um, that are – that are going on and we can have an impact that way. But I also think just as individual citizens, one thing that's really important in all of this work is, is allowing the group that's most affected to be first and foremost. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who like we all as, um, as, as instigators, as accomplices in whatever work they're doing, we need to listen to them and we need to provide that support. So that might mean that it's like, 
I'm going to go to this, you know, I'm going to go to this vigil and I am here to, 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 to stand in support and to uplift these voices. And like there, and I think it's all about us all digging deep and figuring out what is it that I can, um, what is it that I can do that I can give, which sometimes means that you need to either lean in and speak up or you need to lean back and you need to listen Mm -hmm. and you just need to be there Mm -hmm. ready to say, what do you need? I'm here. Like, let's go. Right, right. Totally. That was great. Um, (laughs) Like, really? That's enough. But, um, no, I'll just say that I think intersectionality is um, really key. And we're at a moment where social media makes it so that everyone has has a voice. Um, (laughs) I remember at some point my parents were talking about, you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. And they were like, well, why can't the Girl Scouts just be Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts just be Boy You know, they – and for them, it's it's that simple. Um, and I, and I tried to explain to them, well, because it's, it isn't that simple. It's more complex than that. And we're in a moment where you're going to hear about it. <laughs> and so, so, um, you know, we can't, sh- we're not going to shut people up right. and they deserve to be heard. And so I think intersectionality is really important to be able to acknowledge. And when I think about the history of the organization of the history of the movement, we have been doing this, and I look back at you know we were participating in um, Free Belarus, um, so oh, yeah. yeah, we I mean we participated in that. We have a piece that we developed called "Think Before You Holla" about um, street harassment of women. Um, we did Hope Speaks, which was a piece inspired by um, the election of Obama. We where we interviewed uh, forty four people about that day. And what they did on that day, and then we performed uh, moments from the interviews and mixed it with monologues and right. scenes and dance. Um, so these conversations, whether it's very political, um, and then we have have had events called Go Green, where we deal with environmental justice, right. and it was about how are people of color addressing environmental justice. Um, so even as an organization, when you look at us as a whole, we really are addressing various issues. Um, and putting various issues in the spotlight and saying that these all do matter as well. You know what I mean? And the fact that uh, black, yellow, red bodies are participating in these movements is important because sometimes, whether it, whether it is the environmental justice movement or the LGBTQ mu- movement, um, there are, sometimes are assumptions that we aren't participating or that we don't care. Right. Um, or that we can only take on one thing and it has to be the race thing. Right. Um, and we are here to say, no, that, that's not the case. We can, we, it is all valuable and we can participate in all those movements. Well, and I think what's, you know, it goes back to the power of theater. Um, is that the more specific that we can be with all of the stories that we're telling, mm-hmm. the more, you know, the more voices that we can, that we can bring in, though, like that's, that's how people get, get really connected right. to the issues that we're talking about. Because all of a sudden, you know, this person that you're seeing on stage isn't just the stereotype that you're seeing in the news. Right. This is a, this is a human who actually you're like, oh, I have this connection to, oh, I've been through something like Mm -hmm. that. You remind me of this other person in my life. And it breaks down those barriers so we can really see like, oh, yes, I can be here to support you in this journey, even though perhaps I'm not going through the exact same thing. Creates that empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, So last question, just in terms of the movement, you know, theater company looking forward. 
resources aside, because that sounds like obviously that's just an ongoing struggle, you know, what, what does success look like? What are you guys hoping the next couple years bring for you and, and your team? That's a hard question. That's a big that question. I mean, uh, I... uh, well, uh, okay, so this is a, a bit of a challenge for us, and this is something I'm hopeful about. Um, as an organization that represents people of color, and we are passionate about saying people of color, there are various communities that we want to be able to highlight. And um, I think some folks would think we're uh, just a black theater company, but we're not. Um, and one of the challenges is that in uh, where so many communities don't feel represented, it's challenging to be able to hold a space where we can represent them all. So mm -hmm. ideally, within the next two to three years, we'd have the resources so that we can produce um, works by uh, a South Asian um, artist um, and, you know, uh, a, a Latino guy from the Bronx uh, in mm -hmm. the same season. Right. Um, that would be really ideal for us is having the uh, opportunity and resources to produce various stories um, that don't just look that don't reflect one community. Got it. Yeah. And I think also a like super, super big sky dream. Yeah. Um, which I think the four of us on the team all have varying opinions and thoughts and ideas about it. But, um, but the idea of having our own space, um, is something that's really exciting because we know that, you know, like Eric was saying, finding that space to just create and you need that space. You need yeah. that coffee shop where you can sit for hours and there's Wi-Fi that works and there are plenty of outlets. You need that rehearsal room where you can just have artists and actors and performers in a space together so you can throw shit on the wall and right. see what sticks. Mm -hmm. um, and we need those accessible spaces. Um, you know, unfortunately right now we don't have a lot of performance spaces up in Harlem right. and performance spaces that are accessible to folks, um, to differently abled folks, to folks who are gender nonconforming. And you can walk into a space and say, oh, great, I'm not automatically put into this, you know, man, woman, male, female box. I can go to whichever restroom I feel is the one that's right, right for me. Um, and so being able to um, being able to create that space, to dream up what that space can be so that we can really more fully um, support and invest in our artists, in our community, having a space that's not just for theater people also. That's for a space for, you know, the community organizations that we partner with. Harlem Pride's been a big supporter of ours in the past. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and creating that space for all of these folks in Harlem to come together right. um, is like our, is a big sky dream. <laughs> that's good. That's good. All right, guys. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having us. Cool. Awesome. Thanks again to my guests, Eric Lockley and Deidre Harrington. Thanks for listening to USA TBD. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show and help us spread the word to family, friends, and the multitudes on social media. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at USA TBD. Thanks to my editor and engineer, Alex Brazell. We'll see you next time.